down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When you get the wrong, start singing all night, drinking wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. When it gets a rump, start fighting all night. Knock down windows and tan down door. Drinking half gowns and calling for more. Drinking wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Welcome to an all-new episode of Tasting Anarchy. And this one I'm super excited because I got to pick the wine and I diverged from my normal quest. So I'm Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by Mason Joseph. I honestly thought you were going to say, like, this time I'm Jacob Lindsay, like, some of the times you're not. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, like, also the idea of, like, an all-new episode, like, we're cutting in, like, an all from new, the other ones. Yeah. Well, like, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about, because I, I, I am in charge of posting these, and mm-hmm. it takes so much longer to edit these than I recall when I did the old Mike Federale show and I think it might be because I'm too like picky about like taking out ums and yeah long pauses and that sort of stuff so I'm going to start changing this up just basically whatever we talk about if if there's something personal that we decide to cut out I'll cut that out Mm -hmm. but uh if you notice, I haven't been doing the pauses in the middle of the show to fix sound and that sort of stuff because it sounds actually not bad yeah, uh, all the way through. And so that's, that's the thing. Add the it's intro, like, add the outro, and then yeah, the online. Th- the thing with the show is we're we're not professional podcasters. Mm-hmm. We're also not professional wine people. Right. We're working to become both. Yeah. And there, there's a certain level of time versus reward. Yeah. And like the reward is that we put out a show that's enjoyable. Yes. But also the reward of like, how long did it take you? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, we can st- always go back and clean these up. Like, yeah. We can always right. repost them. And, so. then, and really the last couple of weeks, it's been, I've been so focused on career changes and moving and all that sort of stuff and trying to get all this all these things planned out that it's just like it's spurts so it's like i got all i got the website up i got the first three episodes up and then wrote a couple of blog articles and then it's been nothing for like a month (laughs) yeah and i've got a a couple posts that i've worked on that i just haven't finished because i'm also working on internal life stuff where it's like okay these are life goals that i need to reassess i've got the uh, once a month house project that mm-hmm. I've been falling behind on. So I've yeah. got a couple plans for projects for that. I've got a couple cool things. Hopefully we'll have yeah. a little divergent stuff on content right. on tastinganarchy.com, which right. is our uh, lovely site that Jacob's mm-hmm. put together for us. And um, you can always follow us on Twitter and Jacob's antics at uh, right. Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. So we don't have any of those weird yeah. Twitter handles. Yep. It's like just straight the name. Yeah. And if you like uh, Lions of Liberty and you're part of the Pride, I'm in there sometimes. And yeah. uh, also they they just started Discord. Um, and I've been in there, which I'm getting used to it. It's kind of a weird system, but, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Facebook, so it's mostly on discord. It's just been me kind of chiming in every once in a while. Like have been talking, apparently there's a huge fire near San Antonio, which I didn't have any idea. It's not on the news or anything, but it's like thousands and thousands of acres. Well, it's Texas. So so no one gives a shit. Well, yeah. yeah, Texas is always on fire. Yeah. And they've been talking about it now for a while. Actually, there's some sort of weird thing going on with the sound let me double check my mic everything looks right yeah. on mine yeah but... well you actually your sounds oh, good good so okay. it's, it's just me so uh hopefully hopefully we're not just shouting into yeah. the <laughs> static tonight yeah um, but you know what if it hold on so this is jacob i'm testing my mic and it looks like okay there it looks like it's better all right okay so 
Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Oh, well, I th- here. I think that's probably part of it right there. So what I, what there I, we go. I, I just had some of the knobs turn the weird way. Let me so fix that. There we go. What I, what I think is really funny is, you know, I, I used to be really big into computers. Yeah. And recently have been putting together a new home computer and just trying to figure out, like, what the difference between DisplayPort and HDMI and oh, Thunderbolt yeah. and all that nonsense is. And I watch you fiddle with the board every time, and I'm like, if he got sick and I had to do the board, <laughs> I have no idea what any of these things are yeah. other than where you plug the microphones right. in. <laughs> well, I, I don't actually know what a lot of them are. I, I know the basics from what uh, Federale taught me, mm-hmm. and I can and I know that I need to get this so that it doesn't pop too high. Gotcha. And doesn't stay too low. And, you know, once in a while when we laugh or we talk too loud, it, it does pop off. But it's, you know, that's inside baseball, I guess, for people who... Well, the fun baseball of uh, two guys sitting at a kitchen table um, yeah. looking at a, a... I And here's the thing. I spend a lot of the time looking at the board. Yeah. Because, like, I don't want to stare directly at you right. <laughs> creepily. Like, we've been friends for, like, 10 years. So I still, like, have that, like... <laughs> I stare into his eyes. Right. It's going to be weird. <laughs> like, oh no, yeah. look at the board. <laughs> right, right. But so, it's so weird to me that that you and I have only known each other ten years because I've been with the company that we work for for almost ten years, or no, almost nine years, I guess. Yeah. So, and we didn't meet that much earlier, but it seems like we had a lot of stuff going on prior to me starting to work yeah. at Payday. But your previous employer is uh, currently liquidating itself. Yep, Toys that's R Us. true. Toys yeah. R Us, which. Uh, I, 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 Victoria and I went to the go karts over there by Toys R Us down in Virginia Beach. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I was like, well, let's stop by. I just kind of want to see it. And then we forgot. And I was like, oh, I'll turn around. And she's like, well, what do you want to see? And I was like, I don't know. Like, nothing. All the really. regional arbitrage situations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I couldn't think of it. It was, I loved working at Toys R Us. I know. Like, it was a really fun job. And, uh, I managed the video game section, and then I had a disagreement because somebody thought that I was like sexist against women, so they moved me to the baby section for some reason. <laughs> and and then I like and I was a basically a car seat salesperson and had to memorize all the books about the Gerber and like all these different ones. And I can't for life of me remember half of them anymore. But at the time, like I knew the book like the back of my hand. I mean, well, this one's got the feature right here where you know you got the the four point strap and they so, added additional. To be one hundred percent honest, all yeah. I remember <laughs> from you talking about working in Toys R Us was video games yeah. and hating to work the front register. I don't yeah. remember anything about you being in the baby section. Yeah, for, for the, and I'm sure yeah. you've told me. Yeah. For for the, like the last <laughs> year I was. I so the last Christmas I was there, there was this lady who I was I was a like assistant manager of the video game section. Mm-hmm. And the there's a lady who they sent there, and I, it was Christmas season, so it was very busy, and I lost my temper with her. And you know, I've got a very long fuse, yeah, but like a high charge at the end, yeah. And so, like, I yelled at her because she. For those of you who ha- have good nostalgia, I guess, about Toys R Us, one of the things is you got to bring up a ticket or an empty box to get the game. They're all locked up, mm-hmm. and uh, this lady kept selling games out of the cabinet without getting a ticket. So there would be a, an uneven number of tickets on the floor and games in the cabinet. So people would come up with the ticket, but we would be out of the game. Yeah. And I don't, it's bad customer service because you got somebody who did the right thing and went out and got the ticket and, or the empty box and stood in line and then got up the register to pay. And only then to find out that, only to find out the that they're sold out because this lady keeps selling out. So I, I, I yelled at her, but like I was, you know, tried to be polite about it. I, or as polite as I could. And she said that she told the manager that who was a woman 
that I didn't want her working in the video game section because she was a woman. Mm-hmm. And so the manager called me in and they, they had this very like aggressive stance where they blocked the door and had me like sit on the other side of the office and both of them were like standing by the door with their arms crossed and they were like, do you feel that she can't work in the video game section? And so I told my manager, I was like, well, first of all, I'm not going to address this with her in the room because she's my subordinate. Second of all, I'm not going to address this when you're blocking the exit. This is a very aggressive position. And uh, so this conversation is over. If you need to escalate it, you can. But I am not going to talk about this at this time. And so the lady was, she was all freaked out about it too. I mean, most of the people that work at Toys R Us, even though if you're a store manager, you're just like... You're a, you're a $36,000 year yeah, boy. exactly. Yeah. yeah, you're just some some person. Yeah, basically, you're me. Yeah. But for some reason... 20 years older and still at Toys R Us. But, uh, and so uh, then the regional manager ended up having to talk to me and he was like, well, we're just going to move you out of video games. We don't want this to be a bad PR. Um, so you can work in the baby section. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Can you, do I have the literature on all the, on the items for selling? He's like, good thing you asked. Cause we've got this monstrous book to, that you can read. And I did, I read it all and was very helpful and would tell people about the different car seats and strollers and like the different safety features and stuff like that. And like, well, this one, you know, it's on Clarence. It's got all the same features as a new one, but it's the older model. And so like, you might want to get this and yeah, you know, and they ended up moving me back to video games a couple months later because it was, it was just Chaos. falling apart yeah like nobody they weren't nobody was organizing the back and like the video games were all messed <laughs> up and stuff like that so they anyways that's well, history of toys r us for for me yeah for and then you worked there forever i worked there for four years which was unusual for and i worked there actually part-time while i was still working at our current place yeah. for about a year and then finally it was just like i worked too many hours at my new job to also then go put in 10 or 15 hours at the toys old job us. yeah so the, well, so we end up switching on that. But on to more adult things yes. other than toys. Uh, I am I'm very very excited about this wine. I am uh, too. It smells from the cork really good. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a uh, Pinotage, oh. which is uh, a. It's not exclusive to South Africa, but they developed this grape in South Africa, and it's their signature grape variety. And um, it's a cross between a uh, Pinot Noir mm-hmm. and a, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be pronouncing this correctly, but it's C I N S A U T, Sinsat. I'll let you read it. Sinsat. I, yeah, I, I honestly, I think that's kind of the, that's how I would try to pronounce yeah. it. Like, yeah. or sinuate. Yeah, I've, I've seen like, it a couple of times. I really don't think my pronunciation is close. Yeah. Now, at the time when this was developed in, in the 1920s, in 1925, they were calling Sinuat Hermitage, mm-hmm. which I think I've heard that as well. Um, and so this is a cross between Pinot and Hermitage. Ah. So now it's Pinotage. Yeah, and it is almost black yeah it's very very dark very much like a pinot noir Mm -hmm. um it's a it's a red varietal uh and one of the things that is characteristic about the south african version of this is apparently south african soil is very very mineral rich and so it's going to have a lot more of minerals in the grape itself so you can have a sip and i'll go ahead and uh read what i have to have a second sip the first one was overwhelming okay then i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and read to you the um Oh, I didn't. I don't think I mentioned what it was. This is the Owl Post Pinotage. It's from uh, the winery Needlingshoff Estate Winery. Another word that's very difficult to pronounce. Yeah, I think that's a um, ne- I think it's Danish. 
Okay, like, so maybe Afrikaans farmers or Afrikaans instead of English. Possibly, or cross heritage. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you never know. Yeah, but it's uh, 14% or 14.5% alcohol by yeah, volume, can, which is pretty high. You can, you can, like, if you, when I draw a little bit mm-hmm. of air across it, it's a lot of off vapor. Yeah. And this, that's interesting you mentioned that because that's one of the things, it's got a very uh, polar opinion on this type yeah. of wine it's it's either people really like it or they really dislike it and one of the things that people point out about it um that don't like it is that it has too much of like a rubbing alcohol uh effervescence that it's just it's very strong huh. uh a, a strong smell and um so but what they say about it is uh and i'll go ahead and read what they've got on their website the owl post a single vineyard pinotage draws attention to the estate's integrated pest management system that forms part of the winery's focus on production uh, integrity to re- or production integrity to reduce its dependence on pesticides. So one thing that is very uh, prominent on the site is like sustainability, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess that's their their thing. Well, in uh, South Africa, like they're currently essentially facing like drought conditions and a lot of stuff. So like mm-hmm. it makes sense in a lot of these like especially African nations where you yeah. like it's hard to get pesticides right. in some places. And, and the weather in, in Africa is very unreliable too. And yeah, that's one of the re- you especially know, in that lower part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they say is one of the reasons why uh, civilization didn't really develop in sub-Saharan Africa as quickly as it did in like Mesopotamia or, or Egypt or even like Carthaginian parts in North Africa was because the sub-Saharan African climate is just very unpredictable. You mm-hmm. get a lot of rain one year, not very much the next, uh, and it's or you get a lot for like 20 years and then all of a sudden it's a drought for 20 years. Yeah. And, and it's because there's not huge mountain ranges, so the mm-hmm. kind of the weather just blows through, and it's just this massive continent. Yeah, as, as we, we were, were discussing. Yeah, as we were discussing. This just ridiculously large continent that really has no geographic features to retain weather or block it from blowing through and stuff like yeah. that. So, well, you uh, you got to take a sip of it. it I, I will, but let me finish. Let oh, me yeah, finish I'm, the I'm, last I didn't part. I didn't even realize you didn't finish. That no, that was that's the their introduction. Yeah. And then they then this is specific to the wine. So this is a single vineyard wine. Um, this is but this one's specific to this wine is uh, this wine has been produced from dryland vines uh, established in deep red soil that are rich in organic material and amp, uh, amply feed the roots. Planted in 1997, the vines are established on a northwesterly facing slope, uh, 120 meters above sea level, in soil originating from. Uh, decomposed granite, arresting arresting flavors and aromas of raspberry and cherry with mocha undertones from the masters of Pinotage, a rich and velvety palette with ripe fruit and vanilla flavors. I don't get any of those flavors. All right, let however, me try it out and see if I get any. <laughs> however, it's a very complex wine. Okay. Like there's like up front, it doesn't, it's very, it like coats the tongue, but no flavor directly comes mm-hmm. through. And then there's a lot of flavor on the back end. And if you draw air across it, Mm-hmm. While you're sipping it, it changes uh-huh. the whole profile. It changes the whole sip. Yeah. There is some pretty, it feels like high acidity to me. Yeah. Um, but like it is one of those one is we've had this a couple of times where like I know there's more to this mm-hmm. that I can't pick up on. I really like it. Like even though like I don't taste it the the way like I'm sure you, like if I had mm-hmm. experienced this wine more I'm really interested like this is one of the first red wines where I'm like yeah this, this might be the thing I explore for a yeah. while so this well and you know at, this is twenty four ninety nine at Total Wine uh, which I know is uh, at least in Texas uh, 
So it is nationwide. So that's probably where we'll, I'll continue yeah. in the future getting my wines from because I like it. Unless there's something different there that I like. I mean, there could be plenty of things. Yeah. There's, so twenty four ninety nine. Um, this is what I find very interesting is it's not metallic, but there's like a uh, like there is you, a mineral. Yeah, there's like a when you, like when you know like, when you like put like a nine volt on the tip of your tongue, it sort of feels like that a little bit on the tip. There's like a flavor on the tip of the tongue at the beginning. I don't think I've put a nine volt on my tongue since I was seven. Yeah, and that's too long ago. For me. <laughs> yeah. But it's like it it has like something in the beginning, and then you're right. It's it's full bodied, but. Uh, not a lot of other flavors until after you swallow. Yeah. But it's very tannic. Um, but like it's more slippery than a yeah, than a it's cab. Vi- it's viscous. Yeah, it's viscous but tannic. Yeah. I think it's acidic. The alcohol is not super pronounced. It is when you draw air. Yeah, when you, I'm sure, yeah. I'll try that a little. Yeah. It this is this is seriously one of those I would somebody like Nate. Mm-hmm. This is something I'd like to drink with Nate mm-hmm. to see what he gets out of it and see if he picks up anything more than we do. Like there's if, a, and there's a tiny, tiny butteriness. Yeah. Like it's like, mm-hmm. but it, so it's, oh yeah, it's very complicated. It's very interesting. Maybe that's the mocha. Maybe it's not buttery. Maybe it's like a, a bitter chocolate kind of. I would say it's both. Okay. Like, because like chocolate, like the cocoa butter, kind of that, like you can have it up front, uh-huh. like the butter to it, but like at the end of it, it is a incredibly complex wine. Right. And at $24, yeah, like it's one of those ones like I probably wouldn't – like this is one of those wines that would probably take me a week and a half to drink. Yeah. Because, out, you know, on the show we always finish the bottle just kind mm-hmm. of to smooth through things. But like right. there's a lot of acidity or tannicness to it, which is heartburn inducing mm-hmm. for me. So I wouldn't necessarily consume like two or three glasses on my own. Right. But like with a meal or something like that where like the meal was like a fi- – like to me, like I always like – like you know people are like oh white wines and fish Mm -hmm. i like white wine with steak i like it with the heavier meat Mm -hmm. like heavier meals because it it balances off of this yeah so i could see having this with like a good salad yeah and like chicken and things like that not like the normal like i know it would pair well with a steak sure but that would be too much for my own like you know you know me Mm -hmm. i mean like i always have heartburn and stuff like that um so that wouldn't pair that well together for me but like with a steak and or more like game meats, okay. like rabbit. Would mm-hmm. this would go really well with rabbit? Yeah. Um, it would go okay with goat, mm-hmm. but like a lamb and stuff yeah. like that. Something, like yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe mutton. Not okay. not a lamb because I think the lamb would be too tender for it. Right. But like a mutton, it would go well with like a like, hearty food. Yeah, yeah, like a like like a hunter's stew, yeah. like that sort of thing. Like it's right. got like kielbasa and like yeah. other things like that. Yeah, I mean this is. It's very interesting. Yeah, and five dollars a glass, like yeah. it's a like that price point seems right to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, and we use the aerator on it, um, which hopefully we'll have a review up for yeah. this particular aerator and a link to Amazon where I got it. Um, and I, you know, what? again, we one of these days we got to like try with and without the aerator just to see the difference. Next glass. Yeah. No, okay. Well, we we'll just take it off for yeah, the next. That's glass. That's true. Well, actually, yeah. Let me for the next glass we'll take it off, but oh, yeah. uh, we'll finish this this glass but uh so there's a there's a good reason why i chose a south african wine one is because i'm trying not to pick cabs every single time yeah and the other reason is south africa is bad shit crazy yeah there's been a lot of weird (laughs) stuff going on in south africa so there's a great article on fee the foundation for economic education um by daniel mitchell that kind of goes a kind of goes briefly over 
what's going on in South Africa. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who don't know, and it it really hasn't been in the news that much, it's been in a little bit, uh, the South African parliament has decided that they're going to start seizing land away from white farmers. And um, without compensation, without compensation, they're going to take it. This is basically reparations for the apartheid um, and, you know, a bunch of other. Yeah. And colonialism and and all this sort of stuff. And um, and and it's and the title of the article in fee is South Africa's land seizure is a is classic populism. It is a very big populist move Mm -hmm. move in South Africa to basically get rid of all the white people. Mm-hmm. And it's a very complicated situation in South Africa. So there, it is a colonial power, but it, it they're not all English. There's Afrikaans and English and Irish and Scottish, and you know, I mean, these, it's a, a very of, it's a metropolitan. Yeah, in the cities, it's a metropolitan mm-hmm. country. Yeah. with a lot of British colonial roots, right. like and all of that entails. Yeah. Indians, a lot of Arabs, Indians, yep. like mm-hmm. I mean, just everything. But in the countryside, not as much. <laughs> Right, and so the countryside, it's it, particularly in a lot of the older, the older colonial portions of it. It's the Afrikaans who are Dutch, um, and they don't speak English. They speak Afrikaans, which is like a corrupted Dutch German kind of language. It's a Creole language. Yeah, it's Creole. Yeah, and uh, which, if any of you know who the band uh, Diant Word is, they're they're Afrikaans. They're uh, characteristic of looking inbred because they are, <laughs> and. Uh, Diant word is I don't know if Diant word is, but I thought you were saying they were. Oh no no no! But well, just they're basically the Afrikaans are like the hillbillies of South Africa. They're, they've been there a long time since I think the 1500s, uh, and they're kind of like a low class group of people. But they're a lot of them are farmers or migrant farm workers, um, and they've been there for a very long time. And then you have the English who are also big landowners out there and uh, have a lot of farms, and they've not treated. The native people there for very well but it the, then the counterpoint to it is also is that like you've got i'm going to say it wrong but it's like oza they have the click in their name and i think most people just say koza but uh and then you have zulu and they don't like each other yeah and then there's like a micronation inside of south africa I think there are two nations is inside two? of africa yeah. south africa so there's, there's two small countries that are they're actually not that small well probably yeah they're I like guess, size of delaware yeah, I think. yeah. so and so you've got these various tribes in there, and the Koza and the Zulu don't particularly like each other, and there's a bunch of other African tribes there. And it's like, also, and if you go back, like, the I think it's the Koza, but I could be wrong, or it might be the Zulu. Those groups of people were showing up around the same time as the Afrikaans, the Dutch settlers were coming in. So it was like the people who are indigenous were both colonizing the the quote-unquote indigenous were both colonizing the area at the same time as Europeans were colonizing the area, but it was like more primitive people, and then all the Europeans at the time were not that advanced. But I mean, uh, by comparison, by comparison, they were. But so you had like a lot of people. It's it's very diverse, like you said, yeah. and and uh, it was not a well. It's it's one of those places where it's just like Palestine. Yeah, you can always find somebody who has a older claim than mm-hmm. you, and the time you find the guy who doesn't have the oldest claim, he's dead. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> yeah, and and they fought a lot of wars and stuff in there. But one of the things that this this article points out is that uh, a, a lot of so the the best way is um, to to determine the success or failure of a country is its ranking on the economic the freedom index the mm-hmm. economic freedom index. And South Africa has been going down on the South on the economic freedom index, and these parties that are looking to t- take away all the white farmers' land are uh, communists and socialists. And have been 
advocating more and, regulation. And very populist. Very populist. And, yeah. and and basically, like, the chants, like, if you go and look at a lot of the chants, the chants are kill all white people. Yeah. And, like, these are large groups of, of people. Who, and granted, the apartheid was not nice. And yeah, apartheid was a really rough time for South Africa. Apartheid was very bad. Like, but that's the, like, this is one of those things where, like, I in the libertarian movement, mm-hmm. you hear a lot of things about people that the rest of the world presents as like, oh, like Pope Francis, mm-hmm. like, oh, he's just this amazing person when he's really not. But like Nelson Mandela is one of those few people that I've never heard yeah. really kind of anything where it's like, oh, yeah, this is the dark side of Nelson Mandela. Right. Like Martin Luther I'm King. Sure like, he had it, yeah, I'm sure yeah. there were things he did that weren't great. But like as a president of South Africa, like he's from my understanding, like he, like it's his party. Right. That is pushing these terrible things, but well, like him, they like, actually do go over that in this article. Oh, okay. Is that cool. he he had you know he came into power basically on the wings of a populist movement, mm-hmm. and he had the ability to basically go the way of the former um, Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. and just kick all the white people out and take all their property. But he saw the examples of the past, and he said, "Look, whether or not it's just that they have this historically, they have it now, and these people know how to use it." Yeah. Whereas, and this is, and it's not just a Africa thing either. This happened when the Soviet Union formed and they disenfranchised all of the landowners in Ukraine. One of the reasons why the Holodomor happened was the Soviet, well, the the Bolsheviks came in and they said, they said basically, uh, all of those guys who own land are exploiting you workers. Let's round them up and send them to Siberia. So they rounded them up and sent them to Siberia and 10 million people starved to death. Yeah. And part of the reason why 10 million people started death is Stalin was taking all the food and and putting it into the cities to feed the the workers because the peasants were the enemies of the workers still. Yeah. Like they were not part of the proletariat. They were some trash. other group. Yeah, they're trash. Nobody, they didn't care. So, they, and then they, they made it also, they, they, when people were starving, they were like, oh, it's all the hoarders' faults. And so what widows would do typically back then is they would go after the threshers came through, they would go pick up the seeds that were left over and they were allowed to do this. And then that's how they would feed their kids. And Stalin made it so that if you were doing that and you didn't turn it over, then you were a hoarder and were an enemy of the state and were executed. And 10 million people in Ukraine died from this. And it was not because necessarily that those people who own the land deserve the land. They maybe didn't, but they knew how to work the land and they know how to manage. There is a value in knowing how to do things. Yeah, and, and knowing how to manage. And that that's the thing is like what, what people don't seem to understand is there's a certain point where you can bring in people to do things. If you steal the land, mm-hmm. you can bring in people who know how to farm. But the problem is just like like if you're bringing somebody who knows how to farm into Virginia, mm-hmm. Virginia is pretty stable in climate. You can kind of figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah. South Africa's not. Right. Like it's complicated. So, yeah. Like the capital of South Africa is at risk of being the first major city in the world to be run out of water. Right. And my understanding is South Africa is under a drought, but it doesn't have it doesn't lack for water resources. Right. Like it's they have means issue. to yeah. yeah, they have means to deal with this. Right. South Africa is a shithole. Right. Like South Africa, like people are like, oh, South Africa, it's a rising nation. No, it's not. No, not like, anymore. Yeah. Well, it, it's just like people are like China's a rising nation in the cities. Yeah, but the countryside in China is terrible. Right. Like, and that's the same thing in South Africa. Like, yeah. the countryside There's of South extreme, Africa extreme is poverty, awful. And, yeah. Well, and that's and he goes through this is so the measurements for a free, uh, economically free mm-hmm. country is uh, size of government, uh, number of regulations, sound money, uh, freedom to trade internationally, and mm. um, legal system and. Property 
property rights. So the the problem is is that their government's been growing, just like most of the governments around the world, particularly the Western countries. Yes. And South Africa, I would say, is relatively Western. Um, and uh, the regulations have been growing. The uh, sound money, their same problem that the United States and Europe have is that their money is fiat and it's being inflated. Uh, now it's not Zimbabwe level, which yeah. formerly was Rhodesia, but it's... Uh, well, Zimbabwe cured theirs. Well, they just got oh. rid of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, freedom to trade internationally, that is still allowed. Like, And we're d- enjoying a delicious uh, yeah. wine. I'd be interested to know who owns the winery, if it's a white farmer who's going to be displaced. Uh, but this is income to the country. And yeah. if there's nobody who's Zulu or Koza or one of the other things that can take over that knows how to do it, then yeah. there's money down the drain right there. And uh, legal system and property rights. And what we're talking about is no property right recognition. So basically taking the land from people. Now, this is a very funny thing to me is that like the the guy who is the leader and I'm, his name's in here, but I can't remember what it is, th- who's the leader of basically the communists. And uh, he said, uh, we're not talking about a white genocide yet. And but then on the flip side of that, as soon as Australia says, we're going to expedite visas for uh, for white farmer, well, white people basically from South Africa to come to Australia, he says that that's a racist policy. Mm-hmm. And his policy that he's putting forward is seizing land from white people. But How is that? But that's the thing is it's not his policy technically. Well, yeah. He, so this is one of those like zero hedge articles I read. So I might not have all the facts yeah. right. And they may not have it, you know, how often do you double check zero hedges articles right. to see like, you know, against somebody else. I mean, I'm not Jason Stapleton where I read from multiple sources. Mm. I really just kind of read zero hedge and Lou Rockwell. Mm. But, like, he originally was like, yeah, that doesn't seem like that great of an idea. Like, that's kind of Zimbabwe. But then, basically, what people need to realize is the guy, like, the guy who, this guy has just recently become the leader. Mm -hmm. Like, they basically, through corruption, kicked out his predecessor who was, like, it's not his brother, but, like, kind of the equivalent. Like, they were in arms and arms, and you're like, this is the guy? Like, the other guy was corrupt as a skunk. Well, I, I guess skunks aren't actually that corrupt, but yeah. corrupt um, is something that's very corrupt. The U.S. Congress, I, yeah. I don't know, like, like pick pick whatever is the most corrupt thing you want. Yeah, but and he was super corrupt, and then like this guy's corrupt as a computer with a blue screen of death. Yeah, there we well, go. Windows install. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but like you know, he he was not a great guy, mm-hmm. and he you know had all these crazy plans, and like his kids were all over the all over the world causing problems mm-hmm. and doing all this stuff and making South Africa look bad. And then they bring this guy in and he's like, yeah, yeah, we're not going to do that. And then two days later, he's like, yeah, 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 we're doing it. Well, I mean, and like like the article <laughs> says, um, it is classic populism. It's, it's he sees what's going on, the crowd. And this is, you know, this happened in a lot of other, in other well, it happened here with Trump, yeah. is... Or McCarthyism. Know, or McCarthyism or uh, what's going on in Venezuela, where actually Tom Woods recently had a guest who mm-hmm. talked about about the whole Venezuela thing and it was it was a it was a populist movement that that got Hugo Chavez in charge and he you know it, it was a lot of history building up to that point yes. but uh this guy comes in because of, of things are not going great and on a popul on a populist you know yeah, things things aren't going great so let's do more of the same yeah exactly and <laughs> that's stronger it, and that's sort of it seems like that's kind of what's going on with South Africa is increased regulation increased government size increased bureaucracy increased inflation of the currency um, and a lot of these regulations that are that come through 
And, you know, Mary Rewert talks about this. She actually has a new book coming out. It's also going to be on Tom Woods next week. Oh, really? Oh, she, hopefully she'll be talking about her new book. That's why she's coming oh, on. Great. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, I pre-ordered a copy for you and for me. Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's their pre-orders for uh, the Tasting Anarchy team. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so I pre-ordered too. Um, but it's about her new books about medication. But anyways, that uh, well, we can maybe talk about that later. But the... We all of have the, time to talk about Mary Rewert. Yeah, it's a, so increased tax, increased stuff. And then it's... It's always that. So Mary Ruer, what she talks about in her book, Healing I think it's Our World, Death by Regulation is the name of the is book. Is it Death by Regulation? I think that's okay. the name of the book. Yeah, yeah. It's about all about the medical system. Yeah. But anyways, in her previous book, well, her her very famous book, uh, Healing well, famous Our to us, Healing Our World. Um, in that, she talks a lot about that. A lot of, and she's a very kind person, and I like the way that she puts a lot of stuff. Is that she does give the the left the benefit of the doubt. They do you know, a lot of times have uh, best intentions or whatever. Yeah, and that's, so I, I think, so this is what, always what drives me nuts. The left, like the average person on the street has best intentions. Mm-hmm. Politicians don't, mm-hmm. like constantly. When the, and the politician doesn't matter what side you're on. They yeah. don't, I mean, unless you're Ron Paul or like Rand Paul's pretty good most of the time, but I think He's Ron a Paul, lot better recently. Yeah. Yeah, I think he, I think he's kind of. I think maybe this probably happened to his dad when his dad was in Congress for so long. He was just kind of like, "This is crazy." Well, I think his dad maybe, came in thinking it was crazy. Yeah, and I, I think Rand for some reason just didn't understand what his dad was talking about. That could be, or he's like, he's thinking like, "Oh, the process works. We got to figure it out." And then he's like, "A five thousand page budget, and you expect us to vote on this in twenty four hours?" And I, I love that picture of him where he's just like, "You got to be kidding me." Yeah. <laughs> But, but yeah, I wish he could have gotten a filibuster, and I'm not sure how they blocked it, but apparently he wasn't able to filibuster it. I My understanding is he read an article where literally there was a senator asking the press, had they talked to Rand? Mm-hmm. They're like, have you talked to Paul? Because he was trying to figure out if he was going to get to go home for the weekend. Because mm. he was just like, I know what Paul's going to do, or what I think Paul's going to do. Have you guys talked to him? Have you gotten a feel for, from him? So maybe they blocked him somehow, okay. but I don't think so i think well, i think they passed it well they did yeah i think so but i, I don't know for I, sure i think but. they did but i think he i think what ended up happening is he got through it and just like well it's a no right like i'm just not going i'm gonna vote no yeah and instead of drawing it out because there was a lot of basically most of the lap dogs were saying why are you gonna fight this is gonna pass anyway like just vote your you know yeah we're not telling you don't vote no. We think you're dumb for voting no. Right. But don't waste our time voting, like, keeping us here this weekend yeah. just for you to turn around and vote no. We you're we know you're going to vote no. Well, so, so this is this it. is what I say I think would have been the best strategy, and I don't know that he has the ability to do this because it would have taken so long, is had everybody in there, do my filibuster, and read every single page. And this is my filibuster. I'm going to read the bill because I think you guys should know what you're voting on. And just read it page by page. And then maybe like maybe be like, you know, this increases funding for this. Hey, you're against abortion. This has got funding for abortion. Are you are still you think you're still gonna vote for it? Um, you know, I just wanted to point that out. It's on page four hundred and thirty two that this has got uh funding for Planned Parenthood. Just letting all you Republicans know that this is a pro choice bill. If if you vote for it, you're pro choice. Anyways, moving on. Next page. Well, like, he did kind of. He did a version of that yeah. where he Twitter. He did it on Twitter. Yeah. The weird stuff he found. Yeah. Well, I think he did 800 pages of it on Twitter. But it, this is like humongous. Yeah. Like this is bigger than Battlefield Earth. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> it was a literally Nancy Pelosi was joking that it was a yard high. Yeah. It's three feet for right. non-American listeners. Right. Like, which is close to a meter high. And, like, she was fine with it. Mm-hmm. Like, it, And there's no way that she... Anyways, and but... It's to, and it's to September. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's crazy. My, my daughter, yesterday, six, 18 months old. Mm-hmm. 
So that means her birthday is in six months. Yeah. This only lasts for six months, and it's right. $1.2 trillion worth of spending. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, there's, like, money for Vietnam in it. Right. Like, Vietnam vet? It's not even, like, money to repay the people of Vietnam for dropping Agent Orange yeah. on them, which I would almost be okay with. Right. Almost. Yeah. It's, like, weapons for Vietnam. Why? Like, yeah. are we giving Vietnam weapons to fight China? Like, yeah. what... Well, and, it was, and there was there was like there's like two billion dollars in it for border security for like Israel and Jordan. It's like so not, I don't know if it's two billion, but it's a huge amount of money for that. And it, and that and you know not that I support the wall, but like Trump's biggest complaint was this bill doesn't have any money for my wall. And but they've got money for the wall in Israel yeah. or, or whatever they're doing for border security there. And like it's like so why why is that border my responsibility as a taxpayer, but the Mexican border is not my responsibility? Or why is uh, freedom of religion in Europe your yeah. responsibility? Right. It, it's not like we're trying to you know. Like, I wonder. I I would like. I wish. I wish. I wish Rand Paul was rich enough and crazy enough. Yeah. Like if we were like billionaires. Right. Like I know he's not a billionaire, but like yeah. I wish he was. So he'd make the bill searchable. Because mm-hmm. I'd love to see if there's money for like South Africa in there. Oh, yeah. Like just, oh, protecting whites in South Africa. Right. <laughs> like some bull. Oh, yeah, thing. something crazy. So, but I mean, yeah, getting back to South Africa yeah. and kind of that was a tangent of how irresponsible government is is that the south african government has been the same way i mean they're they're drowning in debt as well i mean it's not not debt like the united states but they also aren't an economic powerhouse like the united states well and I mean, that's and this is this is one of the things that i I'll, i always like to point out to people exactly what you said yeah the united states is gdp yeah like china's number two right and, and the united states and then and they are or an order of magnitude mm-hmm. behind us right like we constitute like about a fourth of the world's GDP. Right. And like, that's just the US not trying. Yeah. Like, the US isn't as productive in any capacity as it could be. Right. And like, and this is one of the things that I like, I'll. Well, I mean, and also, like, I mean, and I guess logically speaking, they shouldn't be productive because when you have money flowing in from other countries in the form of loans, why would you work? Well, and that's the thing is like, the this is what, uh, so. Tom and Bob talked yeah. about this on the uh, Contra Krugman that came out, mm-hmm. um, where like the only way the United States is getting this money is because people find the United States still the best place to invest. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what's so crazy to me. Yeah. Like, you have England, which has right. had a government, like, has had the same government, yep, like continuously for like at least since Cromwell. Like, right. even if you don't want to say like like eight hundred years, like since the Magna Carta, since yeah. Cromwell, which right. is. 400 something years right like they've been around forever and like the dana like Mm -hmm. all of these governments have been around for a long time right and the u.s is still the best place to invest because it's just like yeah we have the least amount of regulation and it's so funny like everyone's like free and this is what i love i love the hypocrisy Mm -hmm. against the united states and somebody like trump who i think is a moron right but this is one of those things that like so in my heart of hearts like i knew trump was better than hillary yeah and it pains me every day that he does something that makes me yeah. think, like, when he's, we're going to come out of this. Yeah, like, like hiring John Bolton. Yeah, yeah. like, we're, we're going to come right. out of this. And it's people are going to be like, well, we can never elect somebody who's kind of conservative again. Right. Because, yeah. oh, good guy Obama, even though he was a murdering piece of shit. Yeah. Like, I mean, Trump's bad guy. Yeah. Obama is way, right. way more well, disgusting. I mean, at least to this point. Yeah, to yeah, this although, point. Although with you know John Bolton coming in, we don't know what's going to happen. But I, I this is so this is one of those things where like I honestly think Trump is trying to circle the wagons. That could be 
Because people are like, people are like, oh, Trump's not listening to anyone's advice. Well, good. Well, most of the people he's got to advise <laughs> yeah. them, I really don't want him advising right. him. So it's like, does he bring in John Bolton and it just doesn't listen to him? That could be. And, 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 like, and one of the things that they were saying, too, is that the condition that Trump brought, brought John Bolton in on was that he would not recommend any additional wars. Yeah. If that's true, at least Trump has that going for him is that he he is still blowing people up in the Middle East and stuff like that, but at least he's not expanding. And that's the thing is like we also and this is one of those things that like Americans we get and we don't get. He's a national security advisor. Mm-hmm. He's not yeah. the button pusher of the bombs. That's true. Yeah. He doesn't have like he can't go order a military strike right. as far as we know. Yeah. So like you could hire like Mad Dog Mattis and be like, kick him in the balls every day and be like, he's the national security advisor. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's irrelevant. They don't have that kind of power. And and even like, they're not even like the secretary of state who can kind of circumvent sometimes what the president wants because they do have a degree of power on their own. Yeah, and that's because um, the president ceded some of yeah. his authority to him. Like, realistically, <clears throat> right. the president could just be like, yeah, he's secretary yeah, of state, mind. but you can yeah. never do it. You just don't ever do anything he right. says. Like, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, and that could be. And, and I hope that that's the case. I, I I don't, you know, he doesn't really I, have the record at this point to. I don't. Know although that, he never really had my trust or my. Uh, he, he trust is not the right word. He but. didn't. Ha- he didn't have that for me either. But like, this is one of those things where it's like, I don't fundamentally understand how he is served by bringing bringing John Bolt. Yeah. John Bolton in, because like, so he gets rid of the H.R. McMasters. Mm. So unless McMaster's was like, I'm gonna quit and just be a, a whiny bitch right. if you, you know, pull out of the you know, the Iran nuclear deal, like he's this national security advisor. Yeah. Like he gets paid a bunch of money, right, stolen from us, yeah, to not do anything. Yeah. Like, oh, come up with stuff that the joint chiefs of staff have to do. Like you yeah. he interfaces with the joint chiefs of staff to the president. So do like seven different military aides. Like, I don't understand what the point of the national security advisor is it's like to give people, it's, it's to give people like John Bolton the job. But yeah, that's and that's what the I'm, intelligentsia, you know, of who, where like I don't really see him as that particularly that intelligent. He's been wrong on everything. Just go back and read his. But, and, just read. Just read his catalog of articles, like his editorials and stuff like that. Or but that's uh, the thing is like op eds. He's, he's totally. He's just wrong on everything. But he's a genius. He keeps getting hired. Yeah, somehow, he was our yeah. ambassador to the UN. Like, yeah. like that matters like, for anything, right. except for like when Nikki Haley is it. I, I see you're empty here, so <laughs> let's idiot. go ahead and do without the without With, yeah. the aerator, without the aerator. So like, and this is just one of. The, so to get back to South Africa real right. quick. So one of the, like I said, I, I read a um, article from Zero Hedge, and one of the things is like eighty percent of the farmland. Yeah. Is owned by whites in South Africa. Right. And they make up 1.8% of the population. Yeah. It's a very, very low mm-hmm. population for land ownership. Right. So I can understand the disparity in land ownership. Sure. And I can yeah. understand the frustration there. Mm-hmm. But if they're... Like they're not economically advanced as us, so they're not. Right. You know, they, I'm sure they do have GPS tractors. Like mm-hmm. John Deere is selling their best tractors to people in South Africa. But like, I have to imagine those farms employ a lot of people right. still. Like. Well, you know, there's and also maybe the people who are running the farms. Yeah. Really, you know, it's like the white family owns it. Like, and I understand there are very, uh, they don't have the super farms the same way. They do have super farms. Yeah. I'm sure there are oh, very I'm big sure. farms. Yeah. But like, I'm sure there's a bunch of small landholding farms mm-hmm. where. But I'm betting a lot of people running those farms probably are not white, just because of yeah, the just because of the size yeah. of the population. Right. Now, managing the entire operation, mm-hmm. cash flow, and all that stuff. Yeah. 
that's where I think like you you have a lot more of those families being involved. Right. But like going out and picking the fruits and doing all that stuff, I'm yeah. sure isn't. And then you know when to water and stuff like that. I'm sure the people working the farms understand that. Oh, I'm sure. But yeah. like the long term financing of a farm and th- and yeah. things like that. But, but also like I mean, and and that's true. And you're probably right on that. And the but knowing how government historically operates is I don't really see them being like you're out. And, and the this, overseer and the overseers in. It's more like now we're going to set this up as like a co-op, and this bureaucrat's going to be in charge. The thing, the difference is, I don't think the South, I don't think South Africa is advanced enough mm-hmm. to do that. Because one of the things that like I see with South Africa is the countryside's kind of lawless. It's its own thing. Like you really don't right. go into the Af- South African countryside, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of murders in the South African sure. countryside of whites, especially. Yeah especially farmers and landowners that aren't really investigated. It's not, it's a very lawless place. Yeah. It's and west, so like, or it's a wild, wild west. Yeah. Kind of, so like, like a, a lot wild, of the, wild south. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the, um, southwest. Yeah. 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 A lot of the regulations up, but it's in the cities. Yeah. And like, I, yeah, I mean, there's a big difference between living in like the middle of nowhere, South Africa and living in Cape town. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and you know, and we have a friend who, who's been, who, and, and actually has done, backpacking and stuff like that all yeah. through there and didn't have it up the coast yeah and all but yeah up the coast not in the interior and and i think uh, it was the i think it was the indian ocean coast right, not the yeah, atlantic yeah. coast yeah so you know not you know now granted like i think he, he's told us stories and stuff like that where like there was some rough stuff but it's mostly like there's a lot of europeans like there <laughs> yeah i mean so there's a lot of europeans hiking around there there's a lot of you know americans hiking around there there's a lot of just white african like white south africans and middle class black south yeah. africans and and what they call in in south africa coloreds which is indians or vietnamese or thai or whatever uh all the other people from it's indian, various... interesting that's indian and then vietnamese is your go-to because like yeah there are very dark vietnamese yeah, people yeah. and i i didn't think of that i thought of my friend who's vietnamese and he's yeah he's definitely asian but he's yeah. very well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like and i know that well actually i don't i think vietnam was a spanish colony not a, oh, is it French? Okay, hmm? but I think there's uh, there's because uh, I know there are a lot of Catholics there, but there's uh, there's an indigenous people uh, of Vietnam again uh, called the Hmong, Hmong, who are Hmong, and they look black kind of, but like lighter skinned black. Oh, the Hmong, very the Hmong are to put it out there. I knew a, a mm-hmm. girl who was fully Hmong, mm-hmm. and she definitely was not curly haired. She was yeah. you know, darker, okay. darker Asi- Asiatic skin color but they're basically gypsies okay yeah. is the way they're treated yeah but we you know so long story short yeah like the cambodia mm-hmm. and things like that the resistance fighters were Hmong. yeah that we paid to right. commit uh guerrilla warfare well, apparently there's a bunch of, there's some yeah. of them in in oh, south all, africa i'm not sure why yeah. but they're they're there well they flee there's everywhere sri, sri lankan are yeah, there they, fl- um, they flee everywhere because they're treated they're like yeah. They're like the uh, Kurds. Right, okay. They're the Kurds of the Middle East, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Except for they're not really advocating for their own state at yeah. this point. Well, I, I had a, guy, a friend in high school who was Hmong. And, mm. or Hmong, Hmong or Hmong? My understanding is it's Hmong. Okay. And he, he, he wasn't, but they got out. His parent, or his mom, I guess, or no, his dad got out. Maybe his grandfather. I don't know. I don't know his history, but they got out, you know, when the United States was leaving, which apparently is a, is a much, was a much longer period than I thought. I thought like, yeah. you know, you always see like the newsreels the, of them like going off. In well, the, the war, well, the war ended and two years later, Saigon fell. Yeah. Right. What you see a lot of those helicopters is the fall of Saigon yeah. two years later. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we stopped air, air support. Right. Cause we were still bombing the shit out of North, out right. of North Vietnam. Yeah. We just kind of, we just said that we've 
end of the war, but they were still... Well, we, we stopped ground operations. Yeah. So I guess they left in that period. They mm-hmm. were able to get out and he lived here, but um, the uh, there's apparently a lot of them. Anyways, that was like a weird side tangent, yeah. but uh, which, you know, that's what I guess our show is. This is for. all the show. <laughs> this is, yeah, but... Uh, but that's kind of what's going on. Like South Africa, it is. It's as complex as this delicious wine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very weird mix of flavors and styles and stuff like that. There is an overwhelming flavor, which is not necessarily native, but is larger. You know, Zulu or Nkosa, um Then, but the thing is, is and that's that's another thing. And I was talking to Nate a little bit about this. Is it? Is that in almost every circumstance, like Israel or in a lot of these other places, or like even in the United States, it's like. It's not like the Cherokee were there always. Mm-hmm. They came in and they killed something. And there's actually a lot of new archaeological evidence that, uh, that they're coming up with that there were the people. Now, they're not white necessarily, but they're the people who were living in France at the time mm-hmm. were living in Virginia and North Carolina also. Because there was an ice sheet that came all the way down and they hunted seals all the way across from France into Virginia. And... Virginia and North Carolina, and they're now digging up these sites and they're going like, this is all these, the way that these flint tools are shaped and, and chiseled are identical to the ones in France. So either they simultaneously came up with the exact same method for doing it, which I don't know enough about flint to know, like if there's only one way to do it, <laughs> there know. isn't because yeah. if it was, it'd just be like, Oh, this is yeah. useless evidence for right. anything. But they're now they're going like, well, it looks like these people now, granted those people who are, who were in France then are not the people who are in France now, genetically speaking, but mm-hmm. they were here. So they were here, they were doing stuff. They were, they had a, like a, a small civilization of hunter gatherers or whatever. And then they got wiped out by some new people or they didn't, or they and didn't, the they receded and they yeah. died. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, their be. way of life yeah, could have right. killed them. Yeah, and so and that's very or they possible. moved north right. to Newfoundland. Right, but yeah. then you've also got like the various Indian tribes and stuff like that, where where like the sort of leftist narrative is that like oh they were all peaceful and that sort of stuff, but like the Apache were not peaceful. We know that like Aztecs were not peaceful. Like yeah. every, the only reason that the Spanish won is because every single tribe around the Aztec hated the Aztec and joined them. And you know, and technology, but viruses, <laughs> viruses too. But that I mean, that's the thing is like, but it, it was what, what it was like. like it was a, like a hundred or fifty, like fifty or a hundred Europeans yeah. that came over, defeated the entire Aztec Empire. And it wasn't, though, because it was 50 or whatever had muskets. It was because all of the Indians around them were like, we're tired of being sacrificed to their weird son. A hundred thousand of us are rising up against their 30,000. Right. So, and that's what, you know. And you've got guns. Yeah. And then then now, granted. (laughs) Which are scary as shit when you're shooting bow and arrows. And and they actually, they thought. And cannons. uh, From what, like, I guess a lot of the writings and stuff say from the time is they thought that the people were, like, merged with the horses. They're like, this is bizarre. Like, they're like half man, half beast. And, like. Which is these like in, and the Aztecs were kind of dumb and thought they, yeah they kind of did think they, the Spanish they, yeah. were gods or something yeah like yeah. part of their religion they're like yeah. oh <laughs> but yeah and that that's the thing is like but that's like, that's kind of like what I'm saying is that like it, it does suck that like these things in the past happen yes but the past is brutal yeah and that and that's the thing is like everybody. Everybody picks a measuring point yeah. for it to start things. And like I, my wife was saying something about like, so um, locally, mm-hmm. Green Flash moved in from San Diego yep. and started a brewery. Yeah. They're now auctioning the entire brewery off. They didn't sell the brewery. Oh. They're selling all the equipment because apparently the San Diego operations are in trouble of going out of business and they have to auction wow, really? off the East Coast operations. 
which makes me think that there's some sort of much larger scandal going on at the brewery that no one knows about. Or possibly like, a collapse in microbrewing, you know, because like there's, the, I, we, you and I actually talked about well, this years I, yeah, ago. Yeah, we, where, we, like, did. we were like, there's something going on here, like it's expanding too fast. Yeah, but that's the thing is Green Flash San Diego, yeah. our understanding was financially was like the big dog. Supposedly, yeah. Well, but other than Stone. Yeah. But the, that's the thing is I think there's probably going to come out some, and this is, you know, I hope the government doesn't get involved, but I'm right. betting there's going to be some accounting scandals mm. and some people going to jail for cooking books, like where okay. things were presented in such a way to make operations look like they were better than they were. Right. But basically, so my wife was like, well, that sucks. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. And the way she kind of phrased it made, made me seem like, you know, people are always like, oh, and Bob Murphy was talking about this, not on this week's Contra Krugman, but the one previous where like if a corporate raider comes in and sells out the entirety of the business, it's that's what was better than the business itself. Yeah. Just because GMs existed for 300 yeah, years doesn't cares? mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like it stinks to see a historic name not right. be able to continue its operations. Right. But if that's but not you know the most what? efficient. The name, the name can be purchased again. Like one of the things that Victoria and I have been well, talking about well, lately. Here, here's go the thing. Ahead, go ahead. Continue. The name shouldn't be able to be purchased. It yeah. shouldn't be a copyrightable thing to uh, begin with. That's interesting because I, I disagree on that. Well, well maybe well, maybe on yeah. name. Maybe on names. I, I've not Trade, about like I do believe in trademark. I don't believe in copyright. I think it would. I, my problem with yeah. it is just like any organ of the organ of the state. Mm-hmm. The enforcement mechanism for a trademark mm-hmm. is too vague okay. at this point. Right. Because it's you can use a trademark right. better than a copyright. Like you could trademark Mickey Mouse, sure. which makes sense to me. And then Walt Disney's been dead for 60 years. Sure. Well, but this is this is kind of the way that I see it. And, you know, if you guys are listening to the show and you're more pure anarchist than me, write into us at tastinganarchy at gmail.com or Twitter, Twitter me at or comment on some of the articles right. the way you want to have a conversation with us. This is this is one of the places where I very much disagree with Rothbard on is Rothbard believes in copyright and uh, or not copyright. He believes in patent law, mm-hmm. which I don't know how like I've read his explanation of how it would be enforced in in, in an anarchist system, but like I'm not sure how that works exactly. But uh, I don't agree with him on trade on patent law because ideas cannot be um, Ideas can't be contained. Contained, yeah. So they're infinitely rec- replicatable. So scarcity is what you are when you, when you do a uh, property ownership. It's mm-hmm. it's you're basically uh, adv- you're you're um, accounting for scarcity. So like for example, this bottle of wine that you and I are enjoying, um, the Owl Post Pinotage, um, or Pinotage, however you say it, um, <laughs> that only we can only use this for one thing at a time, and that is that you and I can drink it. If somebody else comes in and drinks it, then we miss out on drinking it. But if it's the idea of a bottle of wine, that's infinitely replicatable. Yes. So now the difference with a trademark is that if Mickey Mouse, for example, if I draw Mickey Mouse and sell it and I say it's Mickey Mouse, then people are like, ha, Mickey Mouse. But the implication is that they believe it's the genuine Mickey Mouse invented by Walt Disney or in the lineage of Walt Disney. Me selling a Mickey Mouse that I drew is fraud. Unless I say, this is my version of Mickey Mouse. So it would be like Jacob Lindsay's Mickey Mouse. But if you don't make the claim that it's the genuine Mickey Mouse at the per- time of sale. I could say it's a Mickey. I think there's a little bit of an, like there's like, for example, like when you have a baby and you put it in the back room and it dies or starves to death, the implication is that that's forestalling. So I'm not giving the opportunity to somebody else to claim the property rights on the baby. Mm-hmm. So with the, 
with if I don't say that it's the gen, it's a forgery of the Mickey Mouse or it's the Jacob Lindsay's version of Mickey Mouse, then I'm not giving the opportunity to the people who own the genuine Mickey Mouse to present okay. their property. So in, in this descriptive yeah. terms, what is the difference between trademark and copyright? So in copyright, that would be, so trademark would be like if, uh, the, like the Nike symbol, for example, mm-hmm. would be a trademark, like saying like, this is the Nike symbol, okay? This is the symbol of the genuine yeah, product. Yeah, this is the symbol of the genuine product, whereas whereas the copyright would be like, I wrote this book, um, and you cannot print it on your own paper even if you purchased a copy of it. The So the difference would be that like, from my belief is that you copyright shouldn't exist. You should be able to infinitely replicate your property if you want. If I own a scanner and I own a copy of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, I should be able to scan that and print print it as many times as I want, as long as it still says that it's by Ayn Rand. So I can't tr- say I can't scratch her name out, copy it a bunch of times, and say Jacob Lindsay's Atlas Shrugged. What if he, so? This is one of those. So this is one of those things that where I don't know if I'm being pedantic. Okay. Instead of calling it Atlas Shrugged, right? I changed the name to Long Boring Story with 50 Good Pages, right? Because that's what I think the book is. <laughs> yeah. And I say it's Mason's right. long, boring story with 50 pages. Yeah. Or, or I mean, if you summarize it, well, more, no, power, no, no, more no. power to you. But if you printed the exact same thing. But I changed the name. Like, I'm not yeah. saying it's Atlas Shrugged. I right. nowhere say it's Atlas Shrugged. Right. I say this is Mason's. Yeah, then you could do that. No problem. Yeah. So okay. Actually, you could, in my opinion, you could you could go ahead and reproduce it as, as much as you want. You can't sell it as it, it being your original idea. So but it's my original idea to change the name. So so you say that is that you say, you have to you'd have to stipulate in selling it because otherwise you're committing fraud. In my opinion, is unless you stipulate that the following is written by Ayn Rand, editorial or whatever by Mason Joseph, and it, and your only editorial is that you change the name to Mason Joseph's Atlas Shrugged. Fine, no problem. But make sure that Ayn Rand is still credited with being the original author because otherwise. You, if you just photocopy it, everybody knows that it's Ayn Rand. But or even if you took her name out, you're not claiming credit for it, and that's because there is value in ha- in being the originator of the idea. Yeah, so and an, and that's not infinitely replicatable. And this is this is one of those ones where I think it's a vague and pedantic argument personally mm-hmm. because it gets to the point where like I come up with the idea of right. something and. I don't necessarily put it in the full words. You know, there's okay, many well, times where let, you and I have yeah. shouted trademark at crap. Right. <laughs> yeah. Where we're just let's, joking. Let's go ahead and ref- let, let, let me refocus it. Mm. It's not the, – the issue is not that you're stealing from Ayn Rand. Mm. The issue is that you're perpetrating fraud on the people that purchased your work. Ayn Rand is irrelevant. She doesn't actually have a claim to claiming to damages for you reprinting her thing because she sold it to you. You own it. If you own it, you can do whatever you want with it. The problem is that when you sell it to somebody else claiming it's yours, they think it's yours and you're selling under a pre, uh, a false pretense and that's fraud. Well, and so this Now whatever the damages are, that would have to be determined by a court. It may there may be no damage in, involved. And this is and this is what I f- find hard with that argument. And this is something mm-hmm. that we've talked about on the show before. It, and to me it's the best best way of taking it is um in calculus, mm-hmm. you calculate the area under a curve and right. the way that's originally described to somebody is you take these boxes and you draw boxes under the sure. area of the curve and you can calculate the area of the box very easily. Mm-hmm. And then you make the box smaller and smaller and smaller until the point where it becomes an infinite regression and you just have the area under the curve and you know that's correct. Mm-hmm. It, it, mathematically, it works. At what point does my changes to the text, does it stop being Anne Rand? 
Right. Because if I never at any point say this is Atlas Shrugged, yeah. and I never at any point say this was written by Ayn Rand, and I'm merely saying this is a long, boring story with yeah. 50 pages changed, and that's what I call the title, mm-hmm. I'm in no way, in my opinion, perpetrating fraud. Now, I understand in a pure anarchist society that's up to the court, and sure. it's up to the you know the arbitration, yeah, and, arbitration and, and the standards of the society and yeah. so on and so but forth. But what I'm but, saying is like, no, I'm not telling you. Like I'm telling you, this is a long, boring story that if yeah. you want to buy it, you can. Sure. And that's my editorial is enough changes. Right. I think it's crappy. I don't think it's a necessarily a yeah. moral thing right. to do. But moral is subjective. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But like that's the idea. Is no, I'm saying this is a long, boring story with 50 pages that are good. Yeah. The, the and, problem that I would have is is when you say it's by you. Well, that's the thing is I never fraud. I didn't say it. Was, that's fine then. Well, yeah, yeah and then replicate it as many times as you want. I'm, and I guess maybe you don't even have to give credit to Ayn Rand as long as you're not taking credit for yourself. That's that's where the issue is is because it, it's it's where fraud comes into play and it doesn't have anything to do with Ayn Rand. It has to do with your customer or the person who's purchasing it. Is so I'm they're thinking they're getting an original product from exactly, me exactly right. But that's – and I think that's it, – Well, no. It's not if they think – because they can think whatever they want. It's if you are selling them it as an original product. But it – so – This is like the, the – this is the real McCoy argument was – and I'm probably getting this wrong. But like the, the saying the real McCoy I think comes from the original Cotton Gin and mm-hmm. that like uh, what Eli, Eli Whitney, Whitney or something mm-hmm. like that is that supposedly he came up with it. But apparently a guy named McCoy actually came up with it. And I think he bought it from McCoy. Maybe that's what – or maybe that's what it was. I don't remember what it is exactly, but like when people would – there was competitors for it. And at the time there was very little copyright or, or patent law. No, 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 no. There was plenty strong patent law. There was no enforcement. Right, no enforcement. Okay. And so what they would do is when they were selling it, they would say like, this is not like the other ones. This is the real McCoy. And so – and I could be totally betraying the story. I could be not. But no, it's it's close but, enough yeah. to put the point. But the, right. and this is so this is, is that yeah you can't you can't sell it and say that like unless I mean actually if you if Joseph came up with uh, a Mason Joseph came up with or not even a Mason Joseph just a somebody Joseph came up with the thing or somebody Joseph somebody came up with the thing and he said this is a genuine Joseph and it's one that you made that's not fraud. Mm-hmm. So. Now it, it is it's a, it's a semantical argument I think but and it, it's probably very nitpicky but I think that that to some degree in a free market there is a protection there well there there's no protection from uh, just replicating something that somebody else came up with there's a protection though against fraud because the person purchasing it is the one with the power yeah and, and this is one of those things where and this is what's hard for me to argue yeah and understand. Because if I change the title, mm. to me, I fundamentally changed the work because the title is supposed to, you know, there are, there yeah. are plays where they specifically the title is not relevant to the work sure. at all. Right. And that's part of the point. Yeah. But that's part of the point. Right. Whereas like I'm literally changing the title of this work. Yeah. And I'm saying this is a work by Mason mm. Joseph because I've editorialized. Right. I'm not claiming the entire work's by me. Sure. There's no indication of what part of the work is by me. Yeah, yeah. And so to me... Like I have, especially the Atlas Shrugged, I've changed right zero point zero 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 zero. Yeah, because yeah, it's very long and yeah, very long, many <laughs> words. Book. This is a, this. I think what you're getting to is the discovery argument, which is yeah. is a not a prominent argument, but it's a, it is an argument, and the argument is that there are so there are only so many possible configurations of the 26 how many 26, there's 26 yeah. letters yeah there's in only English. so many possible configurations of the 26 letters there's only so many possible configurations of words 
and there's only so many possible configurations of those words in a certain number of pages. So that so when a person writes something, they're not creative; they're discoverers. Yeah. So they're discovering that this arrangement has this effect on other people. And so a discovery. So like if you discovered that, like for example, you discovered you know the Fibonacci sequence. We know it's the Fibonacci sequence because of who dis- who. I guess discovered it first, possibly not, but he didn't. <laughs> what, whoever discovered it, popularized, but we, we popularized it, popularized it so we call culture. it, yeah, we call it the Fibonacci sequence. Whoever discovered it, irrelevant. So we, we give the title that Ayn Rand wrote Atlas Shrugged because she's the one who discovered that this sequence in this series and With this, this configuration title. and this yeah. title works in this particular way. And it has worked very well. It's been one of the most influential books in the objectivist movement and the libertarian movement. Um, so it has been a very influential book, but the argument would be that she did not create it, she discovered it. And so the difference would be that anybody can use a Fibonacci sequence because he didn't create it, he discovered it. And the ar- same argument would be that anybody can use Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrug because she didn't create it, she discovered it. Mm-hmm. And this is, so I think this is kind of where the semantics comes in. And it's an interesting argument. I, well, I like and, it. and this is, so this is the, the crux of our show where you are incredibly well read. Yeah. I just do int- intuit a lot of things. And, but this is where like, I'm not, and this is the difference. It Like, I think the difference in my thought process of mm-hmm. the argument is I am not in my very limited scope of argument. I am not saying I did anything. Right. Other than retitle the work. Mm-hmm. Now, whether I told the sure. purchaser that I retitled the work or not, mm-hmm. and, and that's the thing is like, I guess you'd have to decide if that's forestalling or not. Well, and and this is, I think this is where I have a huge problem with the current version of the legal system, where like it's the classic like, I don't know, Vanilla Ice gets sued because it's like, da na 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 na, and that's no 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 his is so the well, his for, is da na 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 na. So for the the queen one is It's not the same. It's not the same. So for those who don't know, I'm essentially tone deaf, and I have absolutely no rhythm. So so David. So just to give a historical background, I guess David Bowie and Queen came up with a song under pressure, and it goes dun 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Under pressure, pushing down on me, pushing mm-hmm. down on you. Anyways, that's theirs. Vanilla Ice sampled that, and but his goes dun 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 dun. So he says that that small change makes that his. Mm-hmm. And maybe it does. I don't know. But of course, decided it does not. <laughs> and every but time they, that song plays, but they didn't. For the they didn't. In my understanding of the argument mm-hmm. is they didn't. Like they like tried to argue that was almost not even there, right? Like musically, right? Right. And it, right. it's a subject. Like they didn't go in and look at the wave graph sure. and go because that's the thing is they could even in this is the early nineties mm-hmm. they could have printed a wave graph, sure, oh yeah, and shown that like right mathematically here, these are not the same things. Yeah. Well, and, and there's there's I've heard this argument a lot too from actually Federale talks about this because he's a musician. And uh, from my former show, if you ever want to go check out me when I was younger and the evolution of my ideas, go listen to the Mike Federale show. But uh, that he's talking about this is that most songs are three chords. Mm-hmm. And there's only a certain number of combinations of those. But the number of chords is not relevant. It's how you present them. And so his – actually, I'm, I'm, I don't want to put words in his mouth. But the argument that I understood from him is that it's not that – 
it's if you don't come up with a original enough way of saying what you want to say. So like there's 8 million songs that say I love you. Yeah. But it, but the person who came up with you I love was an originator, like a, yeah. an artist. And then like another and then like the next person who's like I adore you. That's a whole different thing. Or you I adore. And like like yeah. so like there's reorganizations. He says it doesn't like there's only so many musical notes. There's only so much so many ways you can do it. And there's only so many ways you can do it in a way that sounds good because the music sounding good is biological. So like there's it's a it's a and way it's that cultural. you hear and it's cultural. Actually that's why like whenever you hear like uh, Middle Eastern music, it sounds like because their music is flat, mm-hmm. but it sounds joyful to them. Now, if you listen to like Jewish music, for example, Jewish so that sounds kind of sad, but it's a little bit high paced, but it's all but flat. But it doesn't sound sad to me at all. To well, to the European musical palette or whatever, flat notes are sad notes. Well, and, and, a- and things that are in the minor key are sad, but the things that are in the major key and that are sharp are like, so like, that's like, that's something that's in major key and it's, and it's exciting and it's fast paced. So that's like, it's not happy exactly, but it's like time to do some entertainment. Whereas like, like Middle Eastern or, or Jewish music is mostly flattened in the minor key. So like, this is this is a good like it's a positive song but because it's flat and minor it sounds more sad to it's this is also one of the reasons why this is my opinion is so uh north indian classical music Mm -hmm. i I don't know how interested you are in that i love north north indian classical music as you know yeah i'm basically tone deaf okay and i have no rhythm right so i don't hear it as sad Okay. I hear it as like I because I maybe it's because I associate it with the wedding because you were sure. doing the wedding. Hava Nagila, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you, you know what you were doing, right? But like it has it, it has the flat notes that like you were talking sure, yeah, about. Sure, yeah, yeah. And you can play that in a way that will sound sad. Sure. To me. Like you can slow the tempo down. Yeah. Because I do pick up on tempo very well. Right. But like. I'm super interested in like pretty much everything in Indian culture. Okay, so well, if you ever get a chance, listen to I'll, I'll give it to you before, after the show. North Africa, North Indian classical music, which I don't know why this is not. It's so complex and so interesting, and like I've never heard drumming this way. But it's like, uh, and I can't do it because I don't know what they're saying. But like, it's there's a lot of flats. It's and it's often in a minor key, and it's a lot of. Uh, Sitar. Um, it's a lot of sitar, but it's a lot of like very quick drum. Nobody drums as quickly as North Indian classical music. It's it is such fast drumming. It sounds so unique. This is like an insight into like well, my fascination with. This what was music. my fascination with death metal. Was sure, yeah, double, it's the double the, the double, double bass. bass. Yeah, where's yeah, it's yeah. Just the the pure sonic yeah. force of right. the instruments. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. Like, I read the lyrics on some of the songs where, like, I didn't understand. Because, like, I can't follow a song, like, lyrically. Sure. Unless it's, like, you know, the Toys, the, not Toys R Us, but the Toy Story, You Got a Friend to Me. I can follow that song. Like, I'm not that bad. (laughs) But, like, a a lot of the Modest Mouse songs I really Mm -hmm. like. Like, there's there's a couple that I can follow because they're, you know, three words. They're three-sentence songs that have variations in them but mm-hmm. most of the time if it's a story in a song like i really can't follow it yeah. like it's just i can't hear it as something that exists 
so for me i was like i was like oh like i like this and then like yeah i heard people doing ukulele covers of death metal and they were singing the lyrics and i was like nope like this is the worst thing that exists <laughs> Let me... in the world so, i can't listen to well, this there's actually what's really interesting is there is uh yeah, look up nina burmy when you get a chance like her 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 father actually is like one of the guys who popularized indian classical music in the west mm. uh um, one of the Beatles was like his student. I looked yeah, fork and yeah, fork and yeah, fork and yeah. fork because we've had this conversation okay. before. Yeah. So, but his daughter, Nina Burmy, I think that's his daughter. She's also like just a beautiful voice. She's, her sitar is great. One of the, one of the cool things about Indian classical music is there's, there's only a couple of instruments that are very, very, very close to mimicking a human vocal range. And that's the drum that they use in Indian classical music and the sitar. And it's just, it's so interesting because they'll give, they'll be like, ah, and then the sitar will, they'll do it and they'll be like, wow, wow, wow. and it's like, <laughs> it's very similar sounding, yeah. but I don't remember how we got on this topic, but it was, uh, oh, I guess it was, you know, only so many combinations of, of music or whatever. Like you look at Indian classical music and like, this is a genre, North Indian, North Indian classical yeah. music. This is a genre of music that is like puts Beethoven and Bach and, you know Mozart and all these people to shame just in the just the sheer range of it and and in contemporary of those people too like there was you know there was a lot of stuff still going on in India at the time and 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 thousands of years prior to that and they they even think that some of this stuff goes there you know there's a there's a type of historical uh research which is um it's cultural and it's to basically you trace so there's a lot of groups in India who have who chant and do music and stuff like that in languages that they don't speak. Mm-hmm. And you can trace roots back to Sanskrit and pre-Sanskrit, which are these Indus River civilizations and stuff like that, that predate the, like predate the ocean levels rising. So like all, their entire civilization is under the Indian ocean at this point. Oh, yeah. And like, and they're just now discovering that it's there, but they're, but they do this archaeological research now where they can, and they do this with the Bible too, where they're like, well, we know at what point this part of the Bible was added because it's in a different, it would be like the difference between like the way that Thomas Jefferson speaks English and the way that we speak English. Yeah, it's, you can take tone and context yeah. from writing exactly as long yeah. as you have more than one writing sample. And that's yeah. one of the things that's super so one of the things that's super interesting about Indian culture is India is a superhuman place. So right. most paper records mm-hmm. don't exist. Yeah. And most of these things are actually just mimicked learning. Mm-hmm. So there's um and it's so ridiculously yeah. old. Yeah, so there's there's a as a con there's a concept that so we'll go through this very, very quickly. Yeah. And we'll mess it up really badly. But we gotta talk <laughs> about the wine real quick right. and then we've gotta end the show. Yeah. Um so there's this like when you're a Brahmin, and mm. which is the highest class in Indian culture, before a part of the Bhagavad Gita comes along, which basically kind of encapsulates the idea. Like there's there's basically a, a, a fork in Indian in Hinduism, which isn't the name of the religion. That's just what English speakers yeah. call it. Um, there's a fork in Hinduism that basically comes out, and like you can take any of the major gods and basically say like, oh, they're a variant of Krishna. And it's basically belief, belief in me takes you out of samsara. It's basically yeah. a response to Buddhism. I've never heard it, you know, lecturally described yeah. that way, but this way I understand it. It's like, I think it's a response to Hinduism and Christianity, where basically belief in this being and following this being's teachings can basically take you out of samsara. Mm-hmm. But before that, 
Like you had to live a Brahmistic lifestyle. Right. So one of the last times they did a full ceremony was like in the 1970s and they filmed it. Right. And they had to take these kids and basically it's super crazy watching these kids learn the Sanskrit and their heads are literally Mm -hmm. just being shook left and right and up and down and back and forth to a beat and a tone Mm -hmm. to teach them the language to do this ritual. Because this ritual, like, no one was pure. Like, they they had to, like, they had to take kids that were pure, raised in this village that basically doesn't exist anymore to learn this thing. And it was just like, no one spoke Sanskrit. But Mm -hmm. there are people who speak Sanskrit right now. Like, there are people, Sanskrit's one of the official languages of India. There's 32 of them. Yeah. But, like, this village, like, no one, like, a few of the priests could communicate in Sanskrit Mm -hmm. and actually speak it. But these people were learning these incredible, like, 100,000-word things in a language that is related to what they speak as Mm -hmm. their natural language. But that's not the language they speak. Yeah. And they're learning it by, like, like, candidations and, like, like, it has to be perfect for this ceremony to exist. Like, you can't mess it up. It literally fails. They have to start over again completely. But, like, yeah, like, that's one of those things. It's, like, you always take a measuring point. And for a long time, people were just, like, well, Sanskrit's as far back as we can go. Mm-hmm. And in India, they're, like, well, no, we go back farther than that. Yeah. We just choose not to because that's, lang- that's the language perfected. Right. We just speak other languages now. Yeah, like, yeah. But that, like, Sanskrit literally means the language perfected. Yeah. Like, and it's 2,300 years old, right. at least. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's right. just. Well, and, that's, you know, that's, you know, I've been in, you know. It's just sort of one of my other millions of hobbies or whatever is just is like the hidden history and all that sort of stuff, which is not really hidden history, but you know, you know, are unknown. It's like yeah, unknown and like maybe unconsidered. Unconsidered, but it's also it's it's also it's like uh, you know this this is the same problem that we have with any intellectual group is that they you know you spend your entire life learning one thing and then you find out that oh i might be wrong you know it's just i think it's human instinct to kind of dig your heels in and be like no that's not the case where it's and like that's what's that's to me that's the amazing thing about there are th- there are three people i think about that mm-hmm. rothbard yeah cuz mises like he did change but there's a lot of stuff where he just yeah. he didn't rothbard oh my goodness walter block sure and a little bit of tom woods yeah, where like, they yeah they changed their mind yeah, over like time. Rothbard changed his mind when Hoppe showed sure. up. Oh yeah, and, oh and definitely. Like, yeah. And he changed his mind, and Block I think is a pure, like a pure scholar. Like yeah. he he does his best to present every position right. as he understands it. Yeah. But if you can out logic him, he wants you to do it. Rothbard sure. always wanted you to do it. And oh, Tom yeah, Woods yeah. always wants you to yeah. do it too. But Tom Woods, like I think he just he's not he's not a scholar anymore. He, yeah. he is a scholar. Like, yes, you can argue Tom. And, and I would never, if Tom Woods told me he was a scholar, I would say, yes, you are. Right. But he's not like block where like scholarly work is his life. Red, right, or, yeah. Yeah. Like right. Tom Woods' life is his family. Yeah. Understandably so. Sure. And not that Walter isn't super dedicated to his family, but mm-hmm. he, you know, was it 500 scholar? Like he had that milestone on Tom Woods' show. Oh, yeah. Like just re- an insane amount of scholarly articles. Yeah. yeah. And like, and you can talk to I him about most of them. Yeah. And he and he remembers them. And he yeah. remembers a lot of them. And all of the scholarly articles Rothbard did. Now, Rothbard yeah. did dig his heels in eventually and things like that. But I think sure. Rothbard dug his heels in because he didn't have the time and energy and the, and the passion to. Mm-hmm fully think through the article and through the arguments and do the research anymore because he was just like i'm writing this early colonial history which sure i mean 
one of the things that I've always wanted is like if we go back in time and like do a digital copy of somebody's brain, yeah, and do a digital copy of Rothbard's brain to get the rest of his clonal history. Oh man, yeah. The it, thing like, is, he was such a brilliant, like such a, and so very diverse too, because a lot of people who know him or who knew him, um, like they would say, like it was really interesting to go talk to him because like he had a, like an encyclopedic knowledge of everything he had read not just on economics and history but like you could talk to him about sports Baseball. or movies yeah, or like anything and, he, and he'd be like oh yeah that's like the 1936 whatever like this is when this guy scored this and and like he just knew it yeah. and, he, and he loved sports and he loved and he loved uh movies like movies was he apparently has a ton of movie reviews yeah. too i've always kind of loved to read them yeah read a bunch of those because he he liked movies a lot yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. He's a really like, interesting guy. How did he consume so much stuff yeah. before the internet? Right, right. Like, yeah. And, and, and knew like page numbers. So, like, and that's one of the things that Tom talks about on, on his show is he said, like, the, the one or two times, well, I, I think he's probably met him more than one or two times, but the few I, times that he met him, yeah. is, and they had like a long conversation, like, he would ask him a question and and I was going to say Walter, and uh, Rothbard would be like, oh, check out page 332 of like this book or whatever. This guy's got a really good explanation of it. And like, and here's a copy of it. And yeah, and it, and it had been like 30 years since he read it. And, and, and this is but what, he knew the page. And this is one of those things where like, I really don't want it to sound the way it does in my yeah. head. Rothbard was excited to meet Tom. Yeah. Yeah. And like I really I, I think like Rothbard would not be disappointed in Tom Woods oh, in no, any capacity. So. Yeah. But uh, like Rothbard was looking at Tom and going like the work he's going to do. Yeah. And like I think Tom has done a but in the work that Rothbard thought Tom was going to do was scholarly. Well, I think Tom, yeah. I think Rothbard would be proud of the work sure. Tom has done. Yeah, I mean 1116 episodes yeah, or something like something that. Like yeah. that would be proud of the work he's done mm-hmm. in podcasting, the free books that yeah. you know aren't necessarily scholarly writings. Right. But Rothbard thought he had the Rothbard version of a historian. Yeah. In oh Tom. yeah, yeah. And that's and, you know that's what uh, Lou Rockwell talks about too is when like they when he was introduced or whatever and which it just sounds so cool to me but which is like the most dirty thing ever for you and me to be sitting here talking about it. it's like wouldn't that be so cool to meet a professor of economics well, that's <laughs> like, the thing is like but he's like he's be, like a libertarian to be God, inter- introduced like, to Rothbard yeah by Lou Rockwell oh yeah yeah like yeah like like Lou, Lou Rockwell himself yeah is fantastic yeah but to be like introduced to Rothbard by like the gatekeep, like thinking of Lou Rockwell as the gatekeeper mm-hmm. to anybody, because right. like that's not how Lou is as a person. No, no. It's like the gatekeeper to Rothbard is Lou Rockwell. Yeah. What? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, who is just a really cool guy on his own, and has yeah. written some. He wrote, uh, and I'm I'm blanking on the title. Let me look it up real quick because Lou Rockwell has actually written a, a book that I, I I never recommend enough. All right. So while you recommend that, mm-hmm. when I was drinking the wine. I got subtly used to the flavors, and I don't know if taking the aerator out, if I was just, because it's mm-hmm. like the acidity in like a lot of the Pinot Grigios and stuff like that, that hits you up front, that you know you taste the subtle flavors afterwards or in the second glass because you've gotten through the acidity. I don't know. I can't believe that I forgot the title of this book. Oh, yeah? It's just called Against the State. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he has another one that's actually pretty good, too. That I've, I've only read two of these. Is Against the State I've read, and I've read uh, The Left, Right, and The State, which Left, Right, and The State is actually a very interesting one, too. But yeah. I'm sorry. Continue with but, the wine. Like, 
I, I honestly didn't taste as much in yeah. the wine, but I don't know if that's because I got into the groove of the wine mm -hmm. and the groove of our conversation, and I had had yeah. a glass of wine, basically. You know, like that's the classic wine mix sure. dilemma is like, there's so much to the mindset, yeah, and there's so much to what is going on. Like, did I miss something? Mm -hmm. But like, I think the aerator truly opened up the wine. It, I, th like, I think I, think I, really I agree did. because like the second portion of it seems so much more mild, yeah, and uh, still very full bodied, but the flavor really dropped off. And I think you're right. I think I think the aerator does kind of bring a lot of the the flavor out particularly mm -hmm. of a red wine i don't know if that if it's the same for white wines um but definitely for this particular one the yeah. alpos pinochet um south africa's signature grape the it using the aerator really made a difference the flavor very complex without the aerator still very good but i agree i think maybe we got into the groove of the conversation and we just and the wine kind of became like just what we were drinking it's while the we were lubrication talking. to the conversation yeah 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 exactly yeah um, but at first it was just like such a bold wine, like very in your face, and, all these complex flavors. And that's flavors. the thing is like it even, it, it's not even at first, it's yeah. on the second step right. that it was that bold. Well, see, for me, it was like the first step was kind of, the first sip was sort of like, uh, the first step, I don't know what to crazy. think about this. It was like, like I, took, okay. I, I personally took way too big of a first yeah, sip yeah. on accident. Like I yeah. was like, I need to take a small sip of this. Because we pre-talked the wine a little sure. bit, which we try not to do to try not to influence each other all that yeah. much. But, like, I took way bigger of a sip than I meant to. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, wait, this is way, way too complex yeah. for what I was expecting. All right. Well, just to kind of summarize this yeah. again, one, it's uh, this is uh, the Owl Post Pinochet. This is vintage 2016. Uh, it's available at Total Wine. It was $24.99 a bottle, mm -hmm. which makes it about $5 a glass. Alcohol by volume is 14.5, so it's a little bit higher than the ones that I think we normally drink. Usually it's, it's uh, around 13. Um, I definitely feel buzzed. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't feel ridiculously drunk. So Oh, no, no, um, no, no. Yeah. So not bad, um, but $5 a glass, such an interesting wine. Exactly. And if you, if you like uh, Pinot Noir or if you like Cabs, go ahead and try this. Pick it up. It's very interesting. I would even honestly – like I keep, I usually keep a a, ca a cab around the house. I had actually a, a new one to True Grit the other day that was pretty good. Um, I usually keep around um, Freak Show, mm -hmm. which we re which we probably have mentioned every single episode. Nearly, I I maybe will switch to keeping a bottle of Freak Show and a bottle of this around. I, I this is so complex that I would I would bring this out because if like if I had somebody I didn't know, I'd be like, you got to try this. It's very interesting. I, this is one of those ones where I think you've got to try one or two other ones of it first. Okay. This is a good introduction, but this also may be one of those just outliers because we've Could had be, a yeah. couple of like you know like the the Australian. Um, Pinot Grigio, mm -hmm. where we were, or not Australian, but we had the the New Zealand one. Yeah, the that New was Zealand like, one, where it tasted like, kind of like nothing. Yeah, yeah. it's like wait, like yeah. this may be way out outside sure. of the norm of this wine type, but great introduction. And if it's if it's way outside the norm, it's just like stick with this yeah, one. Yeah, this is awesome. it's great. Like, yeah, yeah uh, this was from Neathling uh, Shop or Neathling Shop. I will spell that. Okay. So it's N E E T H L I N G S H O F. Neathling Schof. Neathling Schof. Okay. Yeah, because so. Danish is a lot. Well, yeah. it'll be in the, it'll be in the show notes. In, it, it, it's toward a, it's, the Germanic. Yeah, yeah. it is ger Germanic sounding. It'll be in the show notes. Um, 
again, like way worth it. Yeah, way way worth it. I think I'm gonna try to be uh, branching out a little bit because like I reviewed a lot of our episodes and and I, p- I I pick Cabernet Sauvignon almost every single time. And that's the thing is I don't think we've been badly served by. No, it's and they've been good. They are very unique. Yeah, and there's a variety. For yeah, what they mm-hmm. are, and that's kind of the thing is like I'm never going like I'm not. I, I will say never now. Yeah, I'm not interested in Chardonnay. I don't yeah. particularly care for Chardonnay. That's interesting because I was saying but, about picking a Chardonnay. Well, for and that's a, the that's, that would episodes. be fine. Yeah, because I've never had. Or in my memory, I've never had one. Yeah, but like to me, like Chardonnay is kind of like the trash white wine. Sure. Because there's so many of them. Yeah. But I'm sure a $300 bottle of Chardonnay is amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like the complexity of it to me, like Chardonnay just doesn't taste like a lot of yeah. stuff. But that's because I've had a lot of cheap Chardonnay. Yeah. So. Well, so I was thinking maybe for my next one, just to give everybody kind of an insight, is I was thinking about uh, going white and picking a uh, Sauvignon Blanc, um, which is a very dry white wine mm-hmm. that is one of the few white wines that if there's not a red wine that I want, I'll, I'll go ahead and go with that if they have it. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot more white wines now that you'll go with, but there are. Yeah, now, now that we've tried a lot, yeah, like I mean, like I would even be like, oh well, you know, I'm having chicken, I'll have a riesling, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, and uh, and I do like Rieslings now a lot, but uh, yeah, I, I'm thinking that I, I'm probably going to stick for red to reds for my picks, just because you seem to be more of the the white wine. Well, this thing uh, is, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we should stick with that for now. Yeah. I've been going through the white wine varietals mm-hmm. to learn more about them, right? But I'm perfectly willing and want to if something piques your interest in white sure. wine since you've been more exposed to the same if i found a red that i liked right i would bring it in okay so and that to lead that to our point next sunday which should be our next episode is mm-hmm. easter oh yeah i'm hoping i'm thinking thinking about it now and lord knows if i'll remember i want to try to get something israeli oh that'd be good yeah, that's can. interesting that you said that because i was about to say we should get a sacramental wine and so that's the yeah yeah, so sort of a similar thing as I was thinking, like an Italian sacramental wine. Well, but, like, that, but you know, an Israeli well, would be being, good. Being an atheist, yeah, I couldn't think of what the hell that would be. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I was like, I know Easter. Yeah, wine is involved. Right. Yep. yep. And I was like, okay, so Passover was kind of recently. Sure. And and it was. Uh, yeah. I'm well. I mean, like Palm Sunday is the is uh, is Passover. Well, it's Jesus coming into the city for Passover, so yeah. it's it's around Passover time. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, to be unique, and that would, in my understanding, that is a red. Yeah. Not a white. Back so. in uh, the the music uh, genre is. If anybody's ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, they do have a lot of the tone. So a lot of flats and minors is they have Passover or uh, not Passover. They have uh, Sabbath and it's like, may the Lord protect and defend. And she's doing like the motion on the candles that like they do. But like it sounds very sad, the entire song. But it's like what they're saying is kind of nice. It's like, you know. It's a celebration. Yeah, it's a celebration. It's like, but it does. But to like a European renaissance style ear it it because it's a minor and a flat minor or flat mm. it does sound kind of like oh, oh and here's <laughs> the problem is also you can't keep the inflection out of your voice which i can pick up on yeah. the tone so like you're putting a more positive tone in a lot of these yeah, than yeah. they're actually present <laughs> yeah. with right so i'm like oh this sounds great well that's one of the one of the many 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 things i'm interested in is the psychology of music yeah. and like it, it is so interesting to me that like you can hear a song and like be sad or shed a tear or whatever 
from a and song. And somebody else be completely unmoved. Yeah, exactly. And be like, and, yeah. And, and it's not somebody who isn't in, in, like, so they can be unmoved for two. So this is the last thing yeah. we'll go over. Okay. They can be unmoved because they, they don't hear music that way. Right. Any music. Yeah. Or they can be unmoved because that music doesn't mean anything to them. Sure. Yeah. Like that specific music. It's like people, like I, I read a Reddit thread where somebody was like, just what's something you don't get? Yeah. And somebody was like, I used to not understand music. Okay. And they were just like, what do you mean? He's like, it just sounded like noise to me. Oh, Until I heard dubstep. Oh, And he's like, dub, and like everything else was just noiseless trash. Yeah. I'm going to write a note down and I'm going to close this with a song that I think is incredibly sad, but also a triumphant song um, that's a Johnny Cash version of uh, Will hurt? the Circle Be Unbroken? Unbro- ah. No, not Hurt. Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Which is a very typical of Southern gospel, which is a sad topic, but it's triumphant because, mm-hmm. and, and you can hear it in the song. So it's like, I was standing by the window on a cold and cloudy day when I saw that hearse come rolling for to take my mother away. And it's this is one of those things that like I never understand. I never know because like I know you to be a happy person. Yeah. I don't think like I have the most depressing taste in music. No, that's, that's, that's the thing <laughs> yeah. is like I don't think you do, but like your voice to me is just has a tone of joy in it yeah so i did like every time i hear it like i've heard you <laughs> sing like on the ukulele sure yeah pink floyd songs that i know are sad songs oh yeah yeah and oh, they oh, are yeah like one of my favorites is uh wish you were here yeah, which is a like, sad song it, but like hearing you sing it yeah. i'm like that's a joy, <laughs> like a yeah. joyful experience and i, but I and also because I, tend... I think it's you doing yeah. it and i do tend to like play things a little faster beat too because much higher yeah, tempo yeah much faster. but like that that particular song, which I'm, I'm going to make a note, I'm going to close the, this yeah. this episode with it. But it's like it will the circle be unbroken, and it's basically about a family coming together when the matriarch dies and making sure that they sustain themselves. It's it's a it's a it's such a triumphant song, and like most songs in Jesus are triumphant, but they are they do have a particularly Southern gospel. It has such a it's a it is sad, but it's triumphant. Yeah. So it's, you have overcome this obstacle. And if you think about when a lot of Southern gospel became in a prominence, particularly when a lot of the recordings started coming out, is it's a cultural commentary on the South during the Depression. Yeah. And the South had it rough. Yeah. And so we will discuss that on yeah. another show. Sure. So tastinganarchy.com, tastinganarchy on Twitter, or tastinganarchy at gmail.com. Great ways to get a hold of us. Hopefully... By the time this is out, we'll have a relationship with Bluehost. So if you guys need hosting, it's where we host the site. They're pretty friggin' fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got Tom Woods' seal of approval. Like, yeah. I mean, they are a great, great place to host. Like, definitely will help us out if you guys pick it up from yep. there. Um, hopefully, we'll have a review to the aerator we used. And um, hopefully, we don't have a back back Amazon link or whatever it is mm-hmm. where, you know, if you buy it through Amazon, we'll maybe get a, we'll get, we a, get a very little small, something. You know. Yeah, that would be great. And but actually, yeah. I'm going to try to be putting up a little bit more promotions on, or uh, reviews on Amazon products that, you know, if you if you go through us, we get a small kickback, and that really helps the show keep going. There is a, a minor cost on and, – and I'm, and I'm very happy that we incur the cost because it's fun to hang out yeah. with my best friend Mason and um, – and just talk about yeah, this, stuff that we're interested in. And that's the thing is recorded, so we yeah. can go back to it. So like, yeah. and we here's the thing. But it does help if the, if you guys like yeah. the show, and, buy and you're going to buy it from Amazon anyway, and you're not yeah. doing it for somebody else. We could great we sure. greatly appreciate it. And then, uh, so as always, Mason Joseph, 
Mm-hmm. And Jacob Lindsay, stay thirsty. Stay thirsty and, uh, you know, crap, I can't remember the... Uh, Whatever we normally say. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Whatever yeah. we normally say, but um, abolitionists. Oh, abolitionists, yeah. which has been uh, picking up. It, it, it is. It is picking up. Like uh, Dave Smith's really into it yeah, now, exactly. and there's been a lot of people getting into it. So yeah, man, I'm so I'm so mad that we don't have the timing for that. Yeah. Abol- abol- yeah, abolitionists. I mean, we and we really are. But uh, and I think that's it for tonight, guys. Good night, everyone. Good night. Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slaw. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peterstown, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Cherry, cherry. Blackberry. Horton sherry. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the order, drink wine. Wine for the order, drink wine. Wine for the order, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, for the order, drink wine. Wine, for the order, drink wine.